As I already explained to the adult class this morning, uh, my allergies are acting up terribly since the blossoming of those white trees in Oklahoma City. And so uh, my voice is not the same as it typically is. If for some reason you cannot hear me during the lesson as usual, uh, I'm sure that if you kind of hold your hand up like this that um, probably somebody would be nice enough to go back there and turn the mic up a little. This last Lord's Day evening, after most of our attendees from Tri-State had returned home, Crystal Bernard repented and was baptized into Christ by faith in the word and in the working of God. She was baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. She was baptized and added to the Lord's church. All of these things that we see in Acts chapter 22. Uh, yeah, right, no, Acts chapter 2. I knew I could say it. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. It was about an hour prior to her baptism that she and Hayden walked into the office and Crystal said, I believe I'm ready to be baptized. She said, I know that my sins have already been forgiven, but I believe it's time for baptism. And so my question was, well, so what are you being baptized for? And so we talked about it and we discussed it and she said that her sins had been forgiven when she had prayed because the Bible says if you pray, God will forgive your sins. And so we looked at 1 John in particular and saw there how that the confession of our sins leads to God forgiving them, but that that's written to Christians. If you read the first four verses of 1 John, it's written to those who are already in fellowship with Jesus. It's written to those who are already Christians. One of the marvelous things that we have as Christians is that if we continually confess our sins, he continually cleanses our sins. But again, that's written to those who are already Christians. And so we went to Acts 2 and, and other places, and as we considered the biblical black and white book, chapter, and verse texts on baptism and what God said baptism was actually for, she, like so many others, including Karen and myself, years ago, 25 years ago, 35 years ago, wow, <clears throat> decided to put her faith and trust in God and in what he said instead of putting her faith and trust in man, what man said. And so hence she was by, through, and because of her faith in God and in his word baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of her sins. She was saved and added by God, as I said, to his son's church, just as it tells us in Acts 2, 37 through 47. We're all aware that the Bible says in Romans 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But as all too many of us all too sadly know, there are all too many people that we know and love who will not take the time to seriously sit down, study through God's word, that their faith may be in God, that their faith in God may grow, and that it may lead them to developing the kind of faith that will obey God and do what God said. That kind of faith only comes through the word of God. That's what Crystal did. As she looked at the text, she saw that her faith needed to be in God, and as she read the text, she knew what she needed to do. But there are a lot of people in our world today that won't do that. 
A lot of people who, in effect, place their faith in Satan. The liar and the father of lies, as Jesus called him in John 8, 44. Satan, who does just exactly what he's been doing since the Garden of Eden. We know that Adam and Eve were told that on the day they touched the fruit of that tree, on the day they ate of that fruit of the tree, they would surely die. Genesis 2.17. Then along comes Satan. All he does is stick one word in there. He said, you shall surely not die. He tied a not into God's instruction. One of the biggest single advances that Satan continues to use today to lie and to deny and to tie that knot into God's word and to successfully deceive people into believing and putting their faith in exactly the opposite of what God actually said is study Bibles. That's right, you heard me. Study Bibles. The same is true today as it was of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, where he said, I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the text itself in study Bible is wrong because it's not. The New King James Version, New American Standard, whatever version you got. The sacred text that appears above the line on a page is correct. Mostly. It's the notes under that. It's the men's notes that Satan uses and corrupts. Satan is still doing the same thing today he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Taking the very words of God tying a knot into the text and using it to deceive people. His tactics haven't changed because they're so successful. As the Apostle Paul continued on to the first century Church of Christ in Corinth, verses 13 through 15 of 2 Corinthians, he said this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and no wonder. For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, some may think, well, that's pretty harsh to say about those who put together study Bibles. Well, here's the thing. Is every word God said true? Yes. To deny that, or to tie a knot into the text, is that not the work of Satan? Yes, it is. Have his ministers not been doing that for untold centuries and millennia? Yes, they have. So that brings us to the title of today's two sermons, or this one sermon that's going to be in two parts. Scripture, Satan, and today's study Bibles. Now, before we begin, I want to bring up five real quick programming notes. Please don't forget these as we go through the texts. Number one, programming note. Study Bibles have a lot of good information to offer. A lot of good information. They have charts, graphs, history, um, numbers, specific facts, maps, 
They got some good stuff. There's no question about that. Number two, I don't know what all of you are carrying for Bibles, and I am not out to offend, pick on, point to, or anything else, anybody in this congregation, not at all. Certainly those of you who are mature in Christ, you understand when you read something underneath the line that's men's notes that doesn't agree with the sacred text on top of the line on those pages on those study Bibles, most of you have studied long enough and you understand the difference. However, if we look at the things that we know about that it contradicts, how many other things can weasel their way into our thought process? We have to be incredibly careful, but again, most of you are mature enough to do that. Third thing, when I'm talking about errors in study Bibles, I'm talking about, again, men's notes under the line, not the sacred text on top of the line, but in our imagination, sometimes the line can get really blurry, can disappear if we read what God said, we read what man said. Sometimes those can kind of blend together and the line can disappear. Number four, I understand that the translation known as the New International Version has a lot of flaws in it. I'm well aware of that. You may say, why are you going to use an NIV version as part of your PowerPoint? Here's why. Even though I will admit to you that the NIV has a lot of problems in the translation of the sacred text, it's still interesting to note what it says above the line and exactly how it's contradicted below the line. And so I will use that as well as other translations. Fifth and finally, before we begin, it is vital to return later on this Lord's Day for the second half of this sermon because I have a very nice surprise for you at the end. For some of you, some of you already know, but that's okay. Some of you don't. So I hope you'll be here tonight. This chart shows you all the thousands of people that were saved in the book of Acts. You don't have to write this down or take this down. There's copies of this in a lot of different places. Those of you that are in our Wednesday night adult Bible class, you've already got a copy of this. I gave it out with the material. Um, it's in the Bible section, I can say this, the Bible study section at godswordistruth.org. It's in my Effective Everyday Evangelism book. What this chart is simply looks at all of those people, 3,000, 2,000, the Samaritans, etc., and it notes the verses in which they heard the gospel, which it shows that they believed the gospel. The word repentance, or they repented, is in there in the verses where it is marked. Not every, not every case of conversion includes all five of these steps or words or however you want to put it. But when we put them all together, we see what is necessary for salvation. We see repentance listed in those verses there under repentance. Confession we see in the story. We see baptism once, twice, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven times out of those, we see that those people were baptized. We see language that indicates they were saved, but here's the thing. Prayer of faith, never once found. Of all the thousands of examples of conversion that we have in the New Testament, and we understand that. But now, having understood that, and again, if you want a paper copy of this or an electronic copy, they're easily obtainable. See me later if you don't have one. The reason I preach this today is I want you to understand what some of your friends and neighbors are up against and some of the study notes that they may have seen that if we're going to reach them, we need to be able to take the notes under the line, the men's notes, and just get them to compare in their very own Bible what it says above the line. And, and that's the best way to, to reach them and make them think. So <clears throat> as we begin this morning, the NIV translation of the sacred text 
in Acts 2, 36 through 38, in their NIV study Bibles, declares, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. This is what an NIV study Bible says above the line on that page. Their own Bible says this in the NIV. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. The New American Standard Translation of verses 37 and 8 of that same sacred text also emphatically declares, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Doesn't matter if they've got an NIV study Bible, New American Standard study Bible, all of them say for the forgiveness of your sins. Please note that in both cases, that is NIV and NAS, the sacred text states very clearly, concisely, and specifically exactly what baptism is for. It is for the forgiveness of your sins. However, both of these below study Bibles by Zondervan, the NIV study Bible and the New American Standard study Bible, state in their notes, they both say just what we've already said on top of the page, but in their study notes down below that, this is what they say. For the forgiveness of your sins, they're quoting Acts 2.38. This is what they say. Not that baptism affects forgiveness. That's what they say. Go sit at Mardell's Bible bookstore or someplace. Look it up. Not that baptism affects forgiveness. That's what it says right under the line after God said baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. They say rather faith comes through that which is symbolized by baptism. See Romans 6, 3, 4, and note, please note, God in the sacred text above the line says baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. These men say that baptism does not affect, and that means bring about forgiveness of sins. There you go. It's that simple. How many words did Satan insert into God's instructions in the Garden of Eden to mess up everything. One word, the word not. God said, baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins. They say not that baptism affects forgiveness. What have they done? They tied a knot into the text. God says that faith comes through hearing, hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. These men say, faith comes through that which is symbolized by baptism. It's not what God said. God said it comes through faith in the word. So the question we need to ask our friends and neighbors is, who do you trust? Which side of the line you want to be on? Who do you trust, believe, and have faith in to save your eternal soul? God and his word, which is above the line, or these men in their word, which is below the line. Far too many of our friends and neighbors, instead of buying commentaries or instead of, of really doing some hardcore digging, rather than just comparing, we'll look at what the Bible says. 
Then they'll look at the men's notes below, these men who should know what they're talking about. And these men will say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with forgiveness, and that's why they argue. They're convinced they don't have to be because they're taking the words below the line on a par with the words above the line. The notes in these two Bibles on Romans 6, 3, and 4 say this. They're study notes. In New Testament times, baptism so closely followed conversion that the two were considered part of one event. Think about that. In New Testament times, baptism so closely followed conversion that the two were considered part of one event. I have a couple questions about that statement. My first question is, so what's changed? Why should they not still be considered part of the same event? That's my question. If it was that way in the first century, in New Testament times, if they're part of the same event, what happened? What changed? Why wouldn't we consider them the same today? Has God changed? No, Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, do not change. Has Jesus changed? Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. Has his word changed? No, Psalm 119, verse 89, thy word, O Lord, is forever firmly fixed in heaven. Has the faith once delivered for all the saints changed? Jude 3. No. So, if they were considered part of the same event in the first century, why shouldn't they still be considered part of the same event? Nothing's changed. Except men's opinions. And secondly, think about this. Baptism so closely followed conversion. Think about that phrase. Five words. Baptism so closely followed conversion. And think of this. God said baptism was for the forgiveness of sins, right? So their statement would mean that one can be converted, saved, forgiven, before baptism, right? So they could be saved, forgiven, and converted before their sins were forgiven. How does that work? Can you be a Christian if your sins are not forgiven? Can you, are you converted to Christ without your sins being forgiven? So how is it possible if baptism is for the forgiveness of sins and we take God's word for it, Acts 2 and verse 38, how is it possible that, that somehow today that we can be converted and then baptism is supposed to follow it? Baptism didn't even follow conversion in the first century. Baptism was included in their conversion in the first century. They continue in this, so although baptism is not a means by which we enter into a vital faith relationship with Jesus Christ, it is closely associated with faith. Look at that line. Baptism is not a means by which we enter into a vital faith relationship with Jesus. Contrast that with what the Bible says in Colossians 2. Please open your Bibles to Colossians 2. Keeping in mind, the men's notes below the line say baptism is not a means by which we enter into a vital faith relationship. That's what man says. Let's see what God says. Colossians 2, verses 11 through 13 read as follows. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision 
made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Think about this. Men say that baptism is not a means by which we enter into a vital faith relationship. But God said in verse 12, baptism is that act in which you were raised with him. How? Through faith in the working of God. It is through faith in the working of God that you're baptized. So what is God saying? God is saying, yeah, yeah. Baptism is a means by which you enter into this vital faith. By faith, we are buried with him in baptism. By our faith in the working of God that raised him from the dead. The notes below the line say exactly the opposite of what God says in Colossians 2, verses 11 through 13. We would also notice from Colossians 2, 11 through 13, verse 13, he's talking about baptism. Talking about baptism is an act of faith, vital. Verse 13, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you. When did he forgive you? He forgave you when you were buried with him in baptism, Acts 2.38. That's where he forgave you. And he forgave you when you were buried with him in baptism because when you were buried with him in baptism, that was the vital act of faith in God and he raised Jesus from the dead. So we are baptized knowing that we put that old man of sin to death and that God raises us up to walk in newness of life. The men's notes are totally the opposite of what God said. Baptism most certainly is the, capital T-H-E, underline, highlight, embolden, uh, baptism most certainly is the means by which we enter into a vital faith relationship with Jesus Christ if we're going to listen to God, because that's what he said. God said baptism is specifically for the forgiveness of our sins. He also said it's where our sins are washed away question that I asked Crystal, what's the difference between your sins being forgiven and being washed away? As we studied, it was seen that they really meant the same thing. And Acts 22.16 says that our sins are washed away when we call on his name in baptism. God also said in 1 Peter 3.21, baptism now saves us. Please notice what happens in the men's notes. If you take the word not out, if you take the word not out, what does it do? It makes the statement true, doesn't it? Baptism is a means by which we enter into that faith relationship. That's what God said. Whose tactic is it to stick a knot in the text and to lead people astray? Moving on. God said, using the water in Noah's story, as an illustration in 1 Peter 3.21. Now watch this, it gets a little tricky. God said in the New International Version and the New American Standard Version study Bibles, sacred text says, this water symbolizes baptism. Don't forget that. This water symbolizes, and I should have underlined it, 
symbolizes baptism that now saves you. New American Standard says corresponding to that, baptism now saves you, okay? That language is clear enough for four-year-old to understand, isn't it? Most of them, yeah. It's not difficult. God, in language so clear a child could understand, it says that baptism now saves you. And that the water, the water, which separated Noah and the ark from the sins of the world, the water symbolizes baptism. Okay? God goes on in that verse 21 to explain that there's nothing special in the water, that, that there's no cleansing power in the water. But what do these men's notes say? When God says water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, they say the flood was a figure of baptism in that in both instances, the water that spoke of judgment is the water that saves. Baptism is a symbol of salvation. Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Water symbolizes baptism, God said. They say baptism is the symbol instead and it's the water that saves. Do you see why your religious friends and neighbors are a little confused? Especially if they've got a study Bible. Notice the exact opposites here between what God said and he's probably very well educated, probably even well intentioned, but still uninspired men sadly say. There it is in plain, simple comparison. God said the water was a symbol and the baptism saves you. They say baptism is the symbol and the water saves you. You confused yet? And you've had how many years of study of the sacred text? Think of a newbie buying one of these off the shelf and trying to figure it out. The eternity determining question here is once again, what do you believe? Who do you believe? Who do you have faith in? Who do you put your trust in? Save your eternal soul. And that's the question we need to ask them. I know the answer for most of you. That's the question we need to ask them. When God says the water's a symbol and the baptism saves you, they say baptism is a symbol and water saves you. Who do you trust? Who's your faith in, God or man? And it continues. Furthermore, in Acts 22:16, God says, get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. New International Version. New American Standard Version, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's what it says above the line in those two versions. In their notes on Acts 22:16, these men say, baptism is an outward sign of an inward work of grace. Is that what God said? That's what God said. These men say baptism is an outward sign of an inward work of grace. Is that what God said? Where did God say that? Where's the book, chapter, and verse where God... God never said that, did he? God never said that anywhere. You know, it's sort of like these shows. When people come before you with some 
thought in your mind as to the fact that they're authoritative and that they have studied. You kind of tend to take their word for things. We, we do this all the time. You know how those people come on those shows about the age of the earth and all of this, and they'll just throw this term out there, 200 million years ago. And they say it like it's fact, and they just expect you to believe it because after all, they're supposed to be an authority, right? I laugh every time I hear that. I think, boy, you guys need to read your Bibles. 200 billion years ago, and they throw it out there and they just want you to eat it up. Unfortunately, I see the same thing here. Too many people have looked below the line at these men's notes where they say baptism is an outward sign of an inward work of grace. Well, these guys must know what they're talking about. They published a Bible, and they just take their word for it. But that's not what God said. That's not even close to what God said. God clearly says that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. God clearly says that baptism now saves you, Acts 20, uh, 1 Peter 3, 21. God clearly says that baptism is to wash away your sins, Acts 22, 16. But God never once in his sacred words said that baptism was an outward sign of an inward grace. Never once in his word did God say, since the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 when the church was established, that somebody was saved prior to baptism. My only question is, for somebody who believes that and, and I, you know, love everybody, and my only question typically is, okay, where's the book, chapter, and verse that makes that statement? You're going to have to look under the line at men's notes to find that statement. You ain't going to find it above the line in a study Bible. They continue. Whoops, sorry. The outward rite, however, does not produce the inward grace. Baptism doesn't produce grace, doesn't access the inward grace. They say the outward rite does not produce the inward grace. Does baptism have anything to do with getting God's grace inside? Absolutely does. God's word says just the opposite, that baptism is where you receive the forgiveness of your sins or are saved by grace through your faith. Baptism gives you God's grace because that's where he put it. He said, do this and I'll forgive you. But I think a lot of the confusion on this whole thing comes from our very next text. This is a key text that I think that people just don't understand. It's a very simple text. It's quoted by a lot of our friends who don't believe what God said about baptism. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 is a very simple verse to read. For by grace you have been saved through faith. May I make the contrary statement as well. Conversely, isn't it also true, if, if that statement is true, and it is, by grace you've been saved through faith, isn't it also true that you have not been saved by grace unless it is through faith? Isn't that true as well? You have not been saved by grace unless it is through faith. Right? Okay. So what exactly then, according to God's definition, is faith? This is the key to understanding this verse. What exactly is faith according to God's word? How did God clearly, repeatedly define and illustrate Grace, uh, uh, the idea of faith, not grace, faith. Hebrews 11, please turn there. 
If we're saved by grace through faith, and we are, then what is faith? According to God, what is faith? I'll show you what it is. Hebrews 11. This is not man's definition of faith. This is God's definition of faith. What is faith? We see in verse 1 of Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not, things not seen. But he illustrates what it is later on in the text. Look at verse 7. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark. That's faith. That's what it is. By faith he did that. Verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out. That's faith. Verse 9. By faith he, that is Abraham, dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. That's faith. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. That's faith. Verse 21, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Verse 22, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. That's faith. Verse 23, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. That's faith. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 27, by faith, he forsook Egypt. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled. Verse 33, talks about all these people who, what? Through faith did these things. So. What does it mean when the Bible uses the term through faith, just like here in Hebrews 11.33, what is faith according to God's definition? Because we're only saved by grace through faith, so we've got to know what faith is. We see from Hebrews 11 that in order to do something by or through faith according to Scripture means to hear and take God at his word and then trust him enough to do what he said. That's faith, right? By faith Noah built, Abraham went, uh, uh, Moses forsook, all of those things by faith. Faith means, according to God, hear and take God at his word and then trust him enough to do what he said. My excitement is overcoming my allergies. That's what it means. So, listen closely. We see, according to Ephesians 2.8, <clears throat> Ephesians 2.8, that we are only saved by God's grace through our faith, which, according to Hebrews 11, means only when we are willing to humbly and obediently hear and take God at his word and then trust him enough to do what he said we must in order to receive his grace and forgiveness. Isn't that what through faith means? It's exactly what it means. And again, we can't be saved by his grace unless it is through our faith, through our hearing and seeing what God said. Faith comes by hearing. Unless we are saved through faith, we don't have God's grace. Unless we sit down and look at what God said we got to do in order to receive it. 
and we trust him enough to do it, we're not saved. That makes sense to everybody. That's not what it says under the line in most study Bibles. As we've seen this morning again, and I know I'm really hammering this hard, and I know you all know this, but it's my hope that maybe, just maybe, some of you will have that friend that you say, man, I wish they could hear this. Get a copy of it. If you want my PowerPoint, I'll, I'll send it, I'll email it to you. If you want my notes, I'll email them to you. I'll make you copies, whatever you want. I want you to take this message this morning, and I want you to help those who have been deceived by study Bible notes under the line and, and haven't distinguished between what's right and what's wrong, what's God's and what's man's. We see this morning that God says that baptism is for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. That it washes away your sins, Acts 22.16. That baptism now saves you, 1 Peter 3.21. But it is only through faith, Ephesians 2.8. That is, in trusting God and his word enough to do what he said in those texts regarding baptism, that one accesses God's grace and is saved. That's why, don't miss this, got two more verses for you. That's why, this is the punchline, that's why. That very term right there, through faith, that very term is used of baptism, which is the very act of faith according to God, which he says now saves us. It is that very terminology, through faith that is used of baptism in other New Testament passages. Did you know that? Look, if we're gonna say we've been saved by grace through faith, then we have got to be willing to take the other passages that use that very same phraseology through faith and take them for exactly what they say too. What are those texts? One of them we've already read. Colossians 2.12. Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, what? Through faith. In the working of God. You cannot say, <clears throat> and we cannot let people claim, that Ephesians 2.8 is right, that we are saved by grace through faith, unless they are also willing to admit that Colossians 2.12 is right, that we are saved by baptism through faith. Are we saved by grace through faith? Yes. Are we saved by baptism through faith? Yes. Same thing. Same phrase. Means the same thing in both places. That's not the only place it's used, by the way. There's another text that talks about baptism and it uses that same term, through faith. Galatians 3, 26 and 7. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for, even though it's the start of a new sentence, it ties it to what he's just said, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Guess what? Yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. We're saved by baptism through faith in the same way, because baptism is where we receive God's grace, Acts 2.38, it's that simple. The only question is this morning, or for anybody you may share this message with, who's your faith in? 
question we need to ask everybody as we explain the difference between men's notes under the line in a study Bible as opposed to God's Word which is on top in a study Bible. And when they contradict, the only question we need to ask people is this one. Who do you believe? Who do you trust? Who do you put your faith in? Who are you willing? Who do you trust? Who are you willing to entrust your eternal soul to? What's above the line? What's under it? It's that simple. Once we've shown them the contradictions, it's that simple. If it is truly God this morning, and there's somebody here who's never done what God requires, if your faith is truly, if you'll truly put your faith in what God says, you've seen the slides, you can read it, you know, you've heard this preached. Maybe you're a guest or visitor here and you'd like to study it further, that's wonderful. Come back tonight, we're going to talk about this more. This is only the first half or so. If you truly trust God and not man, then come this morning and receive his grace through your faith. Be baptized into Christ specifically for the forgiveness of your sins the way Crystal was last week. God led you to his church because that's what he said. Do you believe it? Do you have faith enough to take God at his word and believe it? You can't be saved unless it's true faith. You don't have God's grace unless it's true faith. And that's what he said you've got to do to get it. You have a need this morning to put on Christ in baptism through faith. Come and be saved and receive his grace as we stand and sing.